Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast, brought to you by Scottish Enterprise. I'm your host, Jane Craigie. Once a month, we will bring you an interview with one of the 650 people strong alumni from the Rural Leadership Programme. A very warm welcome to our next Rural Leaders Podcast. And for those of you with a very good ear, you will realise I am not Jane Craigie. My name is Rebecca Dawes. I'm a colleague of Jane's and a fellow rural leader. And today I'm guest hosting this episode while she is away in Germany. So I've jumped in my car and I have headed just 10 minutes up the road in Dumfries and Galloway to meet Keith McRae, a rural leader who has had a journey spanning both urban and rural locations and now is based here in Dumfries and Galloway as well. Keith's journey not only includes advancements in technology and looking at how to support people, but he has enjoyed many of the wonderful experiences and opportunities that we get through the Rural Leadership Programme, travelling both overseas and through training and courses here in Scotland. So without further ado, let's find out a little bit more about Keith and what he has been up to recently. Keith, over to you. Um, I, well, I'm Keith McElroy, Managing Director of Welcome Pharmacy Group and Whitorn Pharmacy in Dumfries and Galloway in southwest Scotland, hanging down into the Irish Sea with a wee view over the Isle of Man and occasional glimpse of the Morn Mountains in Northern Ireland if the weather's right. I moved to Scotland in 1994. You can maybe tell from my accent I hail from Northern Ireland originally. I spent my university days in Glasgow, met my wife there, and she's from this area and, and we moved down here after our uni days and some travelling and we've been here ever since. And there's this perception that it always rains in Dumfries and Galloway but I believe today we're looking out and the sun is shining. Set the scene of, of where we are. It's a glorious day you're looking out my office window. Well, it looks glorious. It's quite cool out there I think today but uh, the sun's shining on the old headstones in the graveyard out my, out my office window with the trees and blue skies so it's, it's not a bad day as things go nice and bright nice and bright very good now you'll probably think um if you joined us on the last rural leadership podcast we only focus in Dumfries galloway but we don't um we have come to see speak to keith because he is somebody that's really embraced the rural leadership program but before we sort of talk about your travels and going all over the world with the program talk us through the pharmacy and everything you've been doing to sort of bring it into a the 21st century. The pharmacies we bought, Whithorn Pharmacy, my wife and I bought it in 2008 now, so it's coming up for 15 years we've been here. A few years after that, we applied in conjunction with a couple of other pharmacists for a new contract in Newton Stewart, where there was an existing pharmacy, but uh, just a boots there serving quite a large population, and, and we felt there was a need for a second one, and we had to prove that need. Now, uh, So we got that contract was granted after going through a process. We then, a number of years after that, Town Pharmacy, which lies between our two sites, came up for sale. So we, we took the opportunity then just to, to purchase that at that point as well. Um, so we have the, the group of three. Um, my wife and I own Whitworld outright ourselves. And with the other two are in partnership with uh, a couple of other pharmacists. Now, New and I know is slightly different. It's got um, something quite special it's fairly state-of-the-art, Newton. Um, the Creebridge, Welcome Pharmacy Creebridge in Newtonshire, we have um, automated dispensing robot, which uh, isn't a rolling around the floor, arms and legs robot. It's a, a big square box in the middle of the room that stores all of our medication goes in there, and it's chaotically stored. The dispensers work at workstations along the sides of the robot, and as they pres scan prescriptions, the robot goes off and picks the right medicines off the shelves and they come out to shoot next to the person doing the dispensing. Uh, so it 
makes it much safer. There's much more opportunity, or sorry, much less opportunity for human error. And as well as after the robot self loads as well, so we just open boxes, remove all the plastic, and, and dump them into a hopper, and that overnight loads them into the robot. It checks the dates on the packs, and it keeps us aware of any date checking and so on, and, and uses oldest stock first. It was very good for stock rotation, customer safety, and ensuring that um, the patients get the best service they can. The other side of it is uh, that it frees up the time of our teams to actually spend time with patients and more and more in community pharmacy now. That's what we're wanting to do, remove as many of us as possible from the production element of putting a prescription together and actually have them patient face time talking to patients about their conditions and about their medications and what we can do to reduce medications people are on and to make the their medicines journey more comfortable and safer. And correct me if I'm wrong, the pharmacy is also 24 hours, so his dispenser out. It, it's, the pharmacy isn't open 24 hours. We, we have a 24-7 connection point asset, which, again, people that are registered for that, they're tagged on our computer system. And as soon as their prescription is labelled, the, the bag label's put on it, um, a text message is automatically generated, which goes to those patients with a six-digit PIN number. They come along. Uh, we load them, the prescription into the 24-7 collection point and they come along any point of day or night and pick up the medicine whenever it suits them. So if you work long shifts that don't coincide with the pharmacy opening times, it allows you access to medicines where you maybe would struggle to get them otherwise. And and in a rural area, just it, it's not justifiable to open the pharmacy longer hours, but that it gives us a nice workaround. It gives patients can still speak to the pharmacist on the phone if they need to have an interaction with the team and they can collect the medicine at any time that suits them. Well, an amazing way of advancing technology. How's it being received? How's it helping your business? Um, it's gone down great, actually. Where a lot of people that use the service are, are always uh, complimenting it and telling us how, how good a service it is. We have between three and 400 patients a week now collecting their prescriptions through that. And if you think of it even from a time saved in the pharmacy element, that's minute and a half, two minutes per customer, three or three to four hundred times a week that you, you don't have a member of staff tied up engaging at the counter with, um, you know, asking a patient their name and then going to look on a shelf to try and find that prescription and searching through shelf 11 to find it at the back. When they've looked through it three times already before they get to the right one. But it simplifies things for, for our staff, it simplifies things for the customer and it makes the collection process much easier and more efficient as well. So obviously your background hasn't always been in pharmacy. Obviously you've got a wife who probably drew you partly to the industry, but what is it that's driving you to develop the business and community in rural areas? Um, I mean, my background was really in my, my Glasgow days, I was working in IT, um, IT support and for uh, research machines who were an educational IT provider based out of Bells Hill. Um, so I had a, a slightly techie background. I wouldn't have said I was the most techie person in the world, but it certainly... I knew my way around computing and so on. We moved down to Wigtonshire um, just after probably about 2002. In those days, there wasn't a massive need for IT support services in, in rural areas like this. Uh, there's maybe one PC, desktop PC on most farms, and, and, and the old office would have one, but not many more than that at that point still. I had to find another niche fully, so I'd, I went through a few stages of reinvention. I, I did a few sales jobs and things just until the right kind of niches came up. Um, my wife, um, as I say, is a pharmacist, so she was 
working as a pharmacist locally and at that point we knew the Whithorn Pharmacy was coming up for sale and I had studied commercial information management in my uni days so I had a kind of business background but I am IT as well and I decided, we decided collectively that it would be good to, to try and purchase Whithorn knowing that it was coming onto the market. And we managed to do that. By luck, uh, By luck as much by design, it was the financial crash of 2008 was right when we were buying the, the business. The three weeks due, prior to drawing down the money, the, the bank added a quarter of a percent onto our base rate and made it a conditional ending that we took out base rate swaps and things like that, which was later bashed as mis-selling by them. But but at the time, what we kind of we were over a barrel, and we had to take that step and put a bit of extra pressure on things in the early days of running the business. But we got we got through those days, yeah, and the, the business has grown since then. Got involved with the rural leadership back in I think it was 2016, 2017. I, I completed the the program. Uh, we still had the Brussels and London European and. Edinburgh trips involved in that, so that was my first foreign sort of voyage with rural leaders. And um, most of my group had actually been on. It was split into two groups, and most of my group were actually on the first tour, and I was on the second tour just because I ticked the can do either box. And I actually ended up there with a lot of the northern rural leaders, so so got to be quite good friends with quite a few of of them, and I've visited a few of them at their 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 homes and their farms and things up around the Inverness and north of Scotland areas in the last few years. Very good. So, um, pharmacist Royal Leadership Programme, probably some people wouldn't naturally assume the two link, but the Royal Leadership Programme is open for, for anybody. What was it that inspired you to want to go on the programme? Um, I mean, I knew a few people that had been through the process already and raved about it. I actually had a, a friend, Rory Christie, who I'm sure many of you will know, had done the, the Rural Leadership Programme back when we first bought the business. I, I think he was one of the first years. And around the same time as he was doing that, I actually did the Investors and People here at when, when we just had Whithorn Pharmacy at that point. Um, and we had quite a lot of discussions about the two courses at that time and the comparisons between the two. And there was always bits about the Rural Leadership that I was a bit envious that they had, such as the kind of the business psychologists and the conversations that were had, the in-depth conversations that you had and kind of open frank discussions with your, your colleagues about your business and your plans for the business and the problems you faced and so on was something that wasn't really there in that in that other course and, and um, anyway a few years later I decided to, I saw the advert for it and thought actually I'm going to put my name down and, and go through that and I'm glad it had happened really good sense not to say now, I know, um, I saw you not so long ago and you told me it was sort of a, a turning point for you, the leadership program. It really did spark some thinking and some fresh, what was it about the program? Something I've heard many other rural leaders say, it's a very hard thing to quantify, but it, it kind of reignites your ambition and it reignites your drive. You know, it would be very easy to sit here in the pharmacy and say, actually, we've got we've got a, an okay wee business here. I'm quite happy just sitting here. Or you can grow that business and try and make it bigger, more successful, try and employ more people, create more jobs in a rural area where there aren't a lot of jobs and there isn't a lot of other earning opportunities for people. Um, so actually, it, it just... It kind of lights a fire under you and, and gives you that ambition to carry on driving things forward. And I think that's where the ongoing events over time 
come into play with rural leadership as well that you don't get with the likes of the old uh, I know investors and people doesn't exist anymore but that that's where the programme does really have the same continual feed in on it um, whereas obviously now you have the like, overseas learning journeys you have master classes in Edinburgh and, and various other bits and pieces that I've attended over the time and every year or two some of these things come up and there would be an opportunity to go away to network with other rural leaders talk about the issues we're all facing you know at the moment the minute it doesn't matter if i'm a farmer or a pharmacist or own a pharmacy business you know we're facing staffing issues we're facing um cost of living increases or inflationary and in, um increases as issues in a business input costs going up you know they, they have slightly different the manifest to say different ways in different businesses but the problems we all face at their source are, are from the same origin, so it, um, it kind of gives us all a good opportunity to bounce ideas and thoughts and opportunities off each other. I think it's a really good summary. I think that one of the things I most enjoyed when I did it was the diversity of people I had in my group. I actually didn't want the same people from the same sector because it got me thinking out with my usual friendship groups and cohorts and colleagues. Now, I know um, you mentioned international learning yes. you went to memphis with our leadership program tell us a little bit about that on our experience yeah we did uh, an amazing trip to memphis um they, they lined up a, a great program over there for us at the university of memphis studying designed thinking um along with john Amos from the university of edinburgh who, who used to be based at the university of memphis as a lecturer along with brian his surname i can't remember but a very nice fellow there too the they ran the course for us, so we had a week off, half the day in the university, um, working on our project that we had, which ran for the whole week, which I'll, I'll not give too much away in case you run the programme again, because as part of the whole ethos of the thing was that you didn't know too much in advance, but, but um, design thinking was just about really coming at the problems, well, it's actually finding out what the problems your consumers or your customers have, and then coming backwards from that in terms of product development um so for the for example the, the 24 7 collection point was a direct uh, response to having done that we um we have a new contract application for a pharmacy in Stranraer ongoing at the moment as well and, and part of the research we were doing there was coming out that the, the issue that people had was that they couldn't access a pharmacy out of ours so we took the decision that if we get this contract goes ahead in Stranraer we were going to put one of these 24-7 collection points in. And then we came to the conclusion, well, actually, people in the insurance will have the same problem and we have the site, the space at that site to put one in. Ideally, we'd like one at all the sites, but unfortunately, with conservation areas and, and small old-fashioned premises and things, there's not necessarily the space everywhere. But we did have the space in the insurance to go ahead and do that there as well. So we just decided to bite the bullet. Um, we would go ahead with that and actually it was just as COVID was happening as well so there was the added benefit of that of enabling customers not to have to come into the pharmacy environment to pick up their medications when when we had a pandemic underway so it gave them the opportunity to to use just collect the the, the medicines from the machine and sterilize their hands and away they go again so um I mean, that's a brilliant outcome from a design thinking session in Memphis that it, it sparked a different way of looking at your business and, and interpolating something that, that's helping the community. I, I understand that you also got to visit a number of businesses out there, yes. some quite impressive ones. Is there any that really sort of stick in oh, your mind? I, I mean, the FedEx was, was I think, an absolute highlight for everyone. There was, there was all sorts of interesting um, 
places and, and businesses we went to see, but certainly for me, FedEx was was phenomenal to see the technological setup they have, and, and they don't call themselves a logistics company, and they call themselves a technology company, and, and the logistics is just part of what the technology enables them to do, but uh, I mean, the access we got as part of the rural leadership group was just phenomenal. We were literally walking around the tarmac at Memphis Airport, oh, oh here's a FedEx plane with the, the stairs on, let's just go onto this and have a look about. So we just walked onto the aircraft with somebody from the company, but, but had a look about, saw the old cargo area and the flight deck, having a look at the planes, their hull where they do the flight trailing and have the simulators where I think it was a bank of six thirty million dollar simulators or something that lined up. Now, we didn't get a go in those funnily enough, but but um, yeah, I mean, I, and just the, the detail that they went into, and, and actually they then tied how they're using uh, design thinking in their business, and and you know, it kind of brought the relevance of what we were doing together. And then there was other just just hugely interesting things to go to, like we went for um, cotton plantation and things like that, and um, we met with the Arkansas and leaders who, who I think actually they, they sent the older generation to see us, I think. <laughs> a lot of the people, people we would have liked to see were probably at home on the farm and they, they sent the parents along, but it was uh, it was an interesting day, so I need to hear what some of those guys were up to, and yeah, yeah it was just a fascinating trip all around. Just um, tell us a little bit about the masterclass that you got involved in. Yeah, um, so... The University of Edinburgh, again, uh, Professor John Amos, who was on the Memphis trip with us, um, um, hosted, along with the rural leadership, a course at Edinburgh University on um, strategy and strategic thinking. So we had a, a, a good one-day course, sorry, two-day course there, it was kind of a day and a half, but we had most of a day in the university um, where we had um, some sort of lectures from John and also some guest speakers. So it, um, we had Nairn's Biscuits, for example, we had the managing director in and the marketing director come in to see us. And as well as that, we had a video link to the production director in their factory, which I think the original plan was that we were going to go to the Nairn's factory. But again, COVID came into play and um, it was kind of masks on time. So we were just went to the factory via video link. But actually the guy the guy that was at the factory, quite interestingly, I think he was the he's a biscuit maker. His father was a um, biscuit maker with Nairns, his grandfather was a biscuit maker with Nairns, and his great grandfather um reportedly was with McVitie's when they sold off the company that became Nairns and was responsible for inventing the digestive biscuits. So, uh, <laughs> wow, what a story! So he had a bit of a, a bit of a biscuit heritage. Uh-huh. But no, it was a fascinating day. We, we also had um, the Scottish Opera. We went to see the the director of the Scottish Opera and got a bit of a tour of the theatre there in Edinburgh as well. Um, and they talked about um, their fundraising and a lot of the the kind of different innovations that they use and the strategies that they have to use to, to put shows together and so on, which is quite interesting. Again, it's looking at completely different business models, um, but again, they, they do tend to boil down to the same issues at that. At the end of the day, it's funding, it's people, it's costs. But but yeah, the strategy, strategic thinking side of things was was um, very interesting and it was quite a a good course to take part in as well. I would like to see more of those. I think they they give a good opportunity to, for people to get together as well, and and that idea of of doing something at the university in Edinburgh is a, is a good uh, get together. We then had uh, a nice get together for dinner in the surgeons' quarters and 
um, Edinburgh that night as well, which was was nice. And uh, there may have even been a trip to Fingers Piano Bar to round off the evening. We still standing <laughs> at the end of the night. Always still standing. Always still standing. <laughs> um, I think one of the the most enjoyable things about the relationship program is the people that you travel with and the people that you um, kind of grow your network with. You've recently been obviously to OECD as well, and one of the really humbling things for me was how much everybody does stay in touch and find the benefit of each other lifting each other up talks through your community and yeah so i mean now there are whatsapp groups there's a dg one um which you're part of um i don't find it's as active as my northern group of friends they there's from right back from the from when we carried out the, the original leadership programs that group has always been active and, and since i joined them in the the Brussels trip, they, they added me in as an honorary member, which was very kind of them. Um, so, you know, as I said, some good friends there, people who consider good friends, and the likes of Barbara, and, um, who, who was on that original trip with us to Brussels, was in Paris at the OECD with us, with Dave Bell, who was on the Memphis trip with us there. So you do cross paths again with a lot of the people that you've, you've run through various bits of the programme with before, and it's a good opportunity to touch base again and see, you know, all of us have... Every time you've met, things have moved on. Um, there's a, another development. You know, Barbara's got her flowers business set up and running now. Dave Bell's got his age DB. And obviously, the, he's got the, the bits he's enjoying about it, the challenges of the additional travel. You, know, you can have these conversations with people and, and see how they're, they're getting on. And um, all of these conversations have seats within them, ideas and thoughts, and you can bring back and you can implement them into your own in own businesses as well. OECD uh, must have been quite an experience. What what was that like? Kind of? Oh, I mean, it was a, a, an amazing place for, first of all, I mean, we were in the sh- uh, Chateau, um, which is contains the, the Marshall Suite, which is where the Marshall Plan was signed at the end of OECD, uh, so at the end of the Second World War, where the, the kind of allied countries got together and signed a plan to rebuild Europe. And that, that was the room next door to the room we had our meeting in. Um, we had these heads of policy units from a whole range of subjects, from agriculture to food to IT, um, technology to um, SME, small medium enterprise business. The, the leads of all these departments took time out to kind of talk to us, to actually encourage us to engage with the OECD. You know, and um, up to that point, we were thinking, well, small businesses, what... Um, what use is it to the OECD being able to talk to us? But actually, when you, when you meet with these people, they're saying, well, actually, we are the people that do need to be getting input from because they get national-level data, but actually, to give that data context, they need to be speaking to the farmers and the pharmacists and, and so on on the ground level that are actually facing the issues that we're facing so that we can inform them about that side of things so that actually they can see how those problems, for example, are feeding through into the data that they're seeing. And then that helps us as small, as small medium enterprises to influence the OECD's outcomes, which then influences government policy. So it kind of completes the circle in a way for what the rural leadership does in terms of the in- influence. And that's always been a big part of influence. That was the point of the, the Edinburgh, Brussels, London trips was uh, to show us how we could influence our, our politicians from the ground up. And the OECD side of things then allows us to influence policy from the top down. So effectively, you can come with those decision makers in a roundabout way from both sides. And it gives you a much stronger, stronger bedding for, for your case. So um, 
you've embraced opportunities that came with the relationship program a lot comes um what came next what comes next in terms of you and your business so um we are still awaiting the outcome of this Janar application and unfortunately i think it's now turned into the longest pharmacy application in scottish history um through a bit of bad luck with covid timing and so on but the, the nhs seems to be in a bit of disarray at times as well at the moment but they um Currently, the National Appeal Panel are, are waiting to, um, or we are waiting on the National Appeal Panel to deliver a hearing and an outcome on the appeals that were launched by the other pharmacies in the town. So we had our Pharmacy Practices Committee find in our favour the local group that was appealed by the uh, other pharmacies in the town that was sent to the National Appeal Panel. They recalled the Pharmacy Practices Committee to have to add some more meat to the bones of the reasons why they'd, they'd approved the contract uh, and that information was then passed back to the NAP for effectively for sign off um, however in that interim period the chair of the NAP has resigned and that was now 11 months ago and haven't been replaced so I think there's kind of like 200 pharmacy applications on hold in Scotland because there's no chair of the National Appeal so yeah that's um, that's kind of what's holding us back at the moment is um, just the failure to get that position filled um, but I have been advised by um, those within the NHS that that is in hand but I uh, haven't seen it yet <laughs> it's always cynical <laughs> um, now I know uh, you said earlier that you used to run a whiskey shop in your stern so I can't not ask uh, what's your favourite tipple? Oh I do like a space side, I've got a few favourite ones then, there's um, well space and some of the Highland whiskies as well, Highland Parks um, I, um, from Orkney's a, a nice drop oh there's a few out there that tempt, tempt me every now and again but uh, yeah there, there's plenty to choose from, I don't, we don't mind the Bladnick as well keep it local, keep the makeup, wave the flag for the local guest on any game as well very good, well um, as today's your birthday and you very kindly joined us I hope all goes well with your Strano application and uh, you enjoyed took a lot to tonight to celebrate thank you to keep in touch with the scottish enterprise rural leadership alumni interviews and insights sign up to the rural anchor group on linkedin and keep up to speed with news via our monthly newsletter thanks for listening Thank you.